Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. My name is Marshall. What's up? I don't know. You're smiling at me. <laughs> a great big smile on your face. It's a, it's a great big smile kind of day, Marshall. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. It's cold and rainy. It's really cold and rainy. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> like, remember last week you were talking about how like there's only two seasons mm-hmm. in reality, and it's like we just switched back. To the other one. Yeah, I, I woke up this morning thinking, well, that was a short summer. It was just above freezing this yeah. morning when I left the house. Like, it was cold. Yeah. I had to true. grab a jacket. It was depressing. And <laughs> <laughs> dig it out. But we need the rain. I know we need the rain. The closet. I'm not an agriculture expert. I'm not a farmer. But, you know, living in the part of Ontario where we do live, kind of rub shoulders with farming folk. Mm-hmm. And so Wait, I, I know. But that not in COVID. Not actually rubbing shoulders. Right. Kind of like seeing their shoulders from Socially a Socially distanced. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Anyways, I know that we need rain this time of year, and we hadn't been getting any, so that's maybe it's good news for them. Yeah. Yeah. I just got off a call with the newest batch of missionaries heading out for Global Education Ministries. Oh, that's exciting. It's always fun to send new missionaries. Are they going to Mexico or are they going to Africa? Uh, Mexico. Mexico, nice. Yeah. And so that was a good call. I was supposed to be there lead the missions training mm-hmm. thing, but oh yeah be in prayer for those guys it's a it's an exciting thing but for sure it's one of those things you just watch them they're like all bright-eyed and eager and you're like i'm i'm enthused by your enthusiasm nice. and i'm excited by your excitement cool but i also know the struggles you have ahead of you <laughs> it's gonna be hard <laughs> yeah 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 it's like when you go to a wedding right the bride and groom <laughs> so I, I don't know why don't you, and i don't know why don't you tell me more about happy this? and all of the good things that are to come and you're like you're excited for them because there are a lot of good things and wonderful things to come uh but they yeah they're about to find out it's also some challenges too <laughs> Is it though? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe not for you, Tim. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I one phrase one phrase that I use in in both missions training and in premarital counseling because I feel like it's valuable in both scenarios sure. equally is I'm going to try to talk you out of it because if you can be talked out of it, you need to be talked out of it. Mm. Yeah, actually that's good. I like that. That is Thank good. you. <laughs> I had very little, Candice and I had very little premarital counseling as I reflect back on That's it. That's the case for most people, I think. Well, what happened was we were working up at camp. So we didn't really have like pastors. Like I had kind of, like we were up, up at camp and Candace had been part of a church with so many people that I doubt their senior pastor does premarital counseling. There right. is time for that. And I had kind of, just because I was working seasonally, had kind of floated from church to church. And so we got very little. Yeah, It was... Uh, Here, Here's the issue that I think we have. This is not what this episode is about, not by all, the way. but whatever. Uh, one of the issues that I see in the way that we do it is premarital counseling is a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, only really done in Christian circles. Mm-hmm. Um, I require it before I'll marry anyone just because I think it's that valuable. Uh, I think it's too late though. I think it's, I think it's a weird thing to say to a couple, you should 
go and talk with your pastor and, and let him work through some of the things that you guys might have in your relationship, but not until you've already decided that you're going to get married and have told everyone you're getting married. Yeah, and the deposits are all paid and everything. But to be fair, <laughs> I don't know where you, how you change that. Right. I, like, at what point does a guy be like, hey, I was just thinking maybe we should go to the pastor and talk about our relationship. Like, yeah. is that is that a second date thing? Like th- <laughs> things things get serious, and it's like, well, we should probably talk to somebody about how we want to raise our children. I mean, it sounds silly on one level, but it's only because we don't only because you haven't done it. But when you really think it through, yeah, I think sometimes those difficult conversations ought to happen sooner, mm-hmm. right? That way, you don't end up in a situation where you're on completely different pages on like important relational things. Yeah, and you don't realize it until like you've already ordered the flowers. I push hard on the book, 101 Questions to Ask Before You Say I Do. Okay, cool. Um, I think it's before you say I do. Maybe it's before you get engaged. 101 Questions to Ask Before Something to Do with Marriage mm-hmm. um, that, I, that I have lots of other people read. <laughs> sure. Honestly, there's some wasted questions in there, mm. probably because marketing 73 questions you should ask before right. isn't nearly as catchy. We need some filler. Um, but But even at that, it's not about the value necessarily of every question, but just that it causes you to talk about things that you wouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a one that I push. There's also on Desiring God, there's an article written that has like 50 questions you should ask. Um, I always go through those two things mm. with people, but cool. yeah, just to bring out some of those questions. But here we are six minutes in, and we've talked about everything but why the Redeemer must be truly God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, Marshall, I'm, I got a question for you. Okay. Why must the Redeemer be truly God? <laughs> well, there's a number of reasons, actually. Why do people generally go here? Why Why do people go here? Why, why, what, what are some common answers that we might see around? Why the Redeemer must be God? Yes. It's the first part of the thing that we've done every week of this year. Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm with you. I'm brother. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. I'm with okay. you. Okay, okay. You, just the way you said it was sort of like you could recall. Just the way the way you phrased the question. Okay. Sorry. So, okay, yeah. So the question becomes, okay, so why why must the redeemer be God, right? Why why is it not enough that the redeemer, who we've already established as Jesus Christ, we talked about why how he is indeed human. And 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 in order to fulfill his role as redeemer, he must be human. But this week it's he also must be truly God in order to do this. And so here's here's why, because what the Redeemer achieves through his redeeming work is not merely providing us with an example, mm-hmm. right? There, there, there's, there's a tendency sometimes within you know Christianity to talk about Jesus Christ as our example, which he is, but he is so much more than that. Right. If he was our example, then he wouldn't be the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. He would just be the blueprint. Yeah. The prototype. Sure. And yeah. it would in in our charge wouldn't be have faith in him. It would be do what he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in another sense too, if he was if he was not truly God, then what he did on the cross, he wouldn't have truly been a willing participant. His willingness. And his control over that situation would be lessened if he wasn't truly God. And by that, what I'm saying is that he was in absolute control of that situation. Right. Right? Like, that wasn't just, like, 
you know, he allowed himself to be treated poorly. It was like within his sovereign, his own sovereign plan for things to go the way that they did. Yeah, I, and sometimes I hear uh, a lost world push against this and mm-hmm. say um, you, that we call this, and you know, God's justice fulfilled in Christ, but it's absolute injustice to take a perfectly innocent man. And and their point is not to say that it happened, but to say that even your thought around it is distorted. Mm-hmm. That you would celebrate a perfectly innocent man being put to death for everyone else's sin. Yeah, um, that would be true if he were truly man, merely like, man. Yeah, merely man. I, I'm. Yeah, that was a good catch. I'm I'm perfectly on board with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but the fact that he is also truly God mm-hmm. means when he prayed to the Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't because he didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't like he was begging for his life and it was all on the Father. Right? He could at any point. Satan even knew this. Mm-hmm. Charges him during his temptation, right? Like, call down the angels to tend to you. You know they will. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to do this. I'm going to suffer this. Um, so it was given and not taken. Mm-hmm. That is huge. Yeah. It, one thing that I want to want to stress on that, though, when we talk about why must, mm. X or Y, um, and we say, well, it wouldn't work if. I, I think even that needs a bit of a, a bit of a border drawn around it, because sometimes that language can assume that there is a rule that is beyond God. Right, that he's beholden to some kind of right. S- yeah, and, and so and so we say, like, well, if Jesus wasn't truly human and truly God, it wouldn't work in some some fashion of justice that God himself is subject to, mm-hmm. right? So that's not what we're talking about, Yeah. right? What we're saying is, why is it that these principles work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and what is it about them that makes this all the more glorious for God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only... <laughs> The only thing you could really say God is beholden to is to his own character. He's true to himself. Right. Right? He doesn't answer to a higher power. He is the power. He is the source of everything. And right. So his he, way he of... He is justice. Yeah. It's not that he is subject to justice. Exactly. Yep. And so, because he is perfect, his way of doing things is perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, this is the perfect way of doing things. The, yeah. the perfect redeemer is one who is truly God and truly man. Yeah, so we're not saying it must be like this in order to say it wouldn't have worked and there would have been something mm-hmm. come against God and say, eh. Yeah, yes, exactly. This is, this is in order to say, uh, because God is beholden to himself and his own personal character and his perfect justice, this is how we see these things working out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this isn't, you know, kind of touching on something you were already talking about. The, some of the accusations from... The culture around us who know you know enough about Christianity to be critical, but mm-hmm. not enough to really understand that their comments are are silly. 
you know, this is not some kind of divine child abuse. Yep. Right? Like, Christ humbled himself. Right? And, like, the, like he, w- he was the word of God. Like, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing that God has ever done has happened outside of him being in full agreement of it. So, um, it's important for us to understand that, I think, in, in light of how we remember um, Christ's redeeming work specifically his redeeming work on the cross that this did not happen apart from his not just consent but planning mm-hmm. and and power over right. that whole situation right so yeah and 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 for that i i can't say this with 100% certainty i i think that prayer in the garden that we lean on so much mm-hmm. um i think definitely is an expression of him saying here it is um i think it's more for us than it was for him Mm -hmm. yeah i think because because he was in agreement Mm -hmm. it's not like i i don't think that that prayer is jesus saying i'm not in agreement and i want you to come up with another way i think it's for him to say this is what it looks like to be in a serious trial for the gospel's sake, and this is how I'll handle it. Yeah, I I think that fully Christ is fully God and fully man, um, possessing two natures, possesses mm-hmm. two wills. So Christ possessed a divine will which was in perfect unity with God the entire time. Mm-hmm. But in humbling himself, in taking on human flesh, he also possessed a human will, and that human will understood the the pain and the st- the struggle and the weight of what was coming and was wrestling with that. But even in that sense, Christ did not sin in his human will because ultimately he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so I think it's a distinction of wills and maybe we're getting into the weeds on, on Christology, but um, that's the way that I understand it. Being. Yeah. Well, understanding uh, who the redeemer is and why he needs to be truly human and truly God is the weeds of Christology. And it's important. The catechism says, that because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. Mm-hmm. And also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Um, so they divide this into two parts, rightly so. I see four, four things, personally. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I see a semicolon that divides two parts, but... okay. No, but I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe the two parts are divided into parts. That's what, yeah, that's what I see. Okay. I see two parts divided into. Okay. Is what I see. I'd say that's still two parts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you cut a cake in half and then you cut the two halves in half, what It's a different thing. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> points and sub points okay. are not four points. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> fine, just do the thing. <laughs> this is the best episode we've ever done. <laughs> the... <laughs> The point that I see, the first, yes. is that he would have a perfect and effective suffering. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, perfect obedience, effective obedience. Because if it's not effective, it's imperfect. True. And if it's perfect, it's going to be effective. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's why it's one point. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> 
one point that has two elements. <laughs> so perfect. Okay. So let's let's. Okay. So he has perfect obedience because of his divine nature. Yes. Right. He is because of his divine nature. Um, he is not under the curse of Adam in the same mm-hmm. regard. To, to right. Here, right. His his will is not right captive to a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's able to obey perfectly. Right. Right. And and if we if we understand that the law of God is comes out of the character of God, is consistent with who God is and communicates who God is, then the one the only one who could truly and perfectly um, fulfill that is God himself. Right. And so why does it matter that he that you would need perfection in that offering? Well, if someone had sin, death would be the penalty of their own sin. Mm-hmm. And so a blood sacrifice would only be available for them, mm-hmm. right? It'd be like, this is me paying my right debt. Mm-hmm. He has to be perfect in order to say, there is no debt to apply my sacrifice to mm-hmm. of myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying this for others. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thus the, the perfection. Yeah. Um, and and then because it is able to be applied to others, not needing to be applied to him, the efficacy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think the efficacy is also related to like the inherent value that he possesses as God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like the, the you know, if you, we were look at, to look at this as like currency exchange, I mean, what kind of value can you place on one who is truly God? I mean, it's infinite. More than Bitcoin. Yeah, more than Bitcoin to the moon. Um, no, but seriously though, right? Like this is uh, like, so he obeys perfectly. Therefore, there's no personal that he's without sin, right? And so his sacrifice is perfect. He is the spotless lamb that, you know, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing towards. Um, and it's effective. It is enough to cover the, the sins of the world because of who he is. There is unlimited and infinite value in his offering of himself right it, it's not a thing that anyone else could ever do no and, and, and paul talks about that sure right paul says i would love to do this for my people mm-hmm. but he acknowledges that he can't yeah right because if he were to die that would simply just be the consequences of his own sin right right because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. second right. point Made of two subpoints, third and fourth, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me like you're waiting for me to answer this question, so you can pounce on me and talk, <laughs> tell me how the two halves are related. I, and inextricably I don't pounce. No, it's no everyone I'm, already knows how the two halves uh, are related. I'm teasing. Okay, <laughs> so. He's able to bear the righteous anger of God, right? Mm-hmm. The righteous anger of God. I mean, that's a force to be reckoned with. Oh. Uh, again, unquantifiable force to be reckoned with. The prophets, mm. when they talk about the Lord of hosts coming in, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we, we talked about it a lot last year when we were reading through that section, mm-hmm. kind of this time of year, I guess. Probably, yeah. Just getting into it. Uh, man, Man, when he talks about what it'll be like when the Lord of hosts arrives, Mm -hmm. um, it's intense. Yeah. 
And so who could possibly withstand? Who could bear? And not be crushed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this righteous anger of God. Only one who is divine. Like that's the, that's the only way, right? If Jesus was merely man, th- there's no way that he could bear that wrath. Right. And not only bear it, but overcome the penalty of that wrath. Yeah. Right? The penalty, the wrath is not there for just its own sake. So if, if you consider uh, the image that we try to use over and over again just to sort of draw the draw our attention to a specific thing that we can we can come back to all the time instead of trying to create new all the time. Mm-hmm. The idea of sterilization, right? The they're like if you ever use things and you're like, oh it stings a little bit and that's how I know it's working. And that's <laughs> so I kinda like the sting a little bit, right? Like Caramex or whatever you want to use. But but the purpose of that is not just the sting, right? There's there's a point to it. The point is that it is killing bacteria. It is creating a sterile environment because mm-hmm. it is purifying. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a, a sanitization just for the sake of sanitization or, or just for the sake of whatever side effect might come is, is not the point. The point is that it is creating a desired outcome. Yeah. Things are becoming sterile. The wrath of God is not the wrath of God just because God's angry. And God needs a place to unleash his wrath. The wrath of God exists because God is love. And God has promised to redeem all things to their created glory for his glory. To do that, there must be a removal of all things wrong. Mm -hmm. So the wrath of God is mercy, grace, and love. And... In order to to withstand that, you have to be one that doesn't need to be destroyed in order for things to be purified. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. If you point. if you are a person with sin, then you are a part of the problem. And when it's time to sterilize, you've got to go. Mm-hmm. But that he is perfect means when the cleaning comes through. It sees you and says, this is clean, mm-hmm. belongs and remains. And so it withstands the wrath. Mm-hmm. And not only withstands it, but overcomes the consequence of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where the the scripture verse for this week's question um, really sits. Is in Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work on one who is God. Yeah. Um, yeah. John Mark McMillan's Death in His Grave. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. On Friday, the thief, on Sunday, the king, laid down in grief, but arose with the keys of hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid death in its grave. Mm. Pow. It's good stuff, man. commentaries yeah so we've got uh a couple chrysostom again yeah john chrysostom um i mean 
I, I what I loved about John Chrysostom is simply here talking about the the victory that Christ achieved over death. Um, how you know he kind of uses this imagery to talk about how you know the earth tried to swallow up heaven and and kind of using this language and then kind of landing with oh death where is thy sting oh hell where is thy victory Christ is risen and thou art overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigneth. So this reminded me, there was a time when I would write a sermon and then I would go back and ask two questions. What did Christosom say about this? (laughs) And what did Adam Clark say about this? Interesting. Just because of the way that they would say it, right? Let no one weep for his iniquities, for pardon hath shone forth from the grave. Hmm. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. Inasmuch as he has held captive, uh, as <laughs> inasmuch as he has was held captive of it, he hath annihilated it by descending into hell. He made hell captive. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's good stuff. I love that. Love that. And then on to what? Yeah. What you had read? Yeah. So good. Yeah, and then the more contemporary one is Leo Schuster, who I think unpacks um, just this idea of the divinity of Christ. You know, leaning on the passage in John one, um, then referring to the 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 many times that Christ affirmed his own divinity. Um, and there's a, one little paragraph that I think kind of encapsulates, in a sense, why the Redeemer must be truly God. So he says, so why is it so important that Jesus as our Redeemer be truly God? Our sin was committed against God. Only God can forgive a transgression against himself. And this mm-hmm. is why some of the religious leaders in Jesus' day were horrified when he said he forgave sins. They understood the implications of what he said. How could a mere man forgive the sin we have against God? And a mere man can't but God can. Yeah. You know what I see in these two comments? The balance of art and science. Yeah. The modern person, well explained, we understand, Mm -hmm. but Chrysostom is just like, here's beauty. (laughs) So true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yeah. All right, man. So, truly human, truly God. Mm -hmm. Next week, why was it necessary for Christ the Redeemer, to die. Mm. Why was it necessary? This is going to be interesting because there is a growing wave of people who would argue it wasn't necessary. And uh, that's quickly spreading across Canada. Yeah. Or at least has been um, for the past few years in uh, a chain of churches that are popping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So... That makes it pertinent and important. It's true. Until then, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Have a good day. Take care, everybody.